Romans chapter 9, verses 30. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it, a righteousness that by faith, but the people of Israel, who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word about Christ, which makes the good news of what you've done in him known to us. And Lord, we pray that this morning as we reflect on these words, that you would make that truth known to us, not just in our heads, but that it would... uh, work its way into our hearts, that we would believe you, that we would take you at your word. Lord, um, we need you to do a miracle. Uh, You're the God who raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, and we ask that you would raise us uh, to new life in Christ, uh, and that you would raise others to new life in Christ also. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Have you ever set out to do anything, I wonder, but ended up sort of getting it completely wrong? Uh, the other day, uh, Ollie got me to sign a, a form. Uh, he, was, he was getting a passport for uh, Israel, their little, their little boy, 
and uh, we kind of filled in all the forms, dutifully, dutifully kind of filled in all the boxes. And then a few days, I thought, great, done. Don't have to worry about that anymore. And then uh, a few days later, he brought the form back to me. And he goes, oh, Carl, you'll do it again. We did it in blue pen, but it says you've got to do it in black pen. And I'm like, oh, Ollie. <laughs> it's happened to all of us, hasn't it? And it's one of those things you think, well, I'm not going to risk it with the government department. Um, but, you know, there are probably lots of times you can think of uh, where you've kind of set out to do something, but you've got it wrong. I'm still haunted by the time that I set out to drive 10 minutes to Ed and Christine's place, and it somehow ended up taking me an hour to get there. Uh, and, and, the, and the strangest thing was that the whole time I was filled with this buoyant confidence that I was going to get there, I was going the right way, and every time I'd make a wrong turn, I'd think to myself, yep, i just turn right here and it'll be all good. Uh, and then it just kept taking hour upon hour to get, to, to get there, turn upon turn. Uh, or think about those keen and enthusiastic people who set out to climb Everest. They have all the kind of the zeal and the determination in the world. They're probably more determined than any of us can ever be. Uh, they, they set their mind to doing this great task and yet some of them get halfway and they have to turn back. Uh, And tragically, others are not even that lucky. Uh, They die in their pursuit. Sometimes, despite our zeal and our best intentions, we just get it wrong. We set out to do the right thing, to get the the, the things done that we want to do, but we don't, we can't. Sometimes, despite our best intentions, we're not going in the right direction. And sometimes, despite our best intentions, we're not able to achieve what we think we can achieve. And in many ways, that's kind of the issue that Paul is addressing in those verses that we just read. Uh, Last week, we saw that not everyone who hears the gospel believes the gospel. We know that's true. But Paul, in last week's chapter, pulled back the curtain just a little bit to, to enable us to glimpse that behind that, in some mysterious way, lies God's plan and purpose. In the section that we're reading today, Paul gives, if you like, the human dimension of that story. We know what God's doing, but what happens, what's happening in the lives and in the hearts of the people who are hearing the gospel? Why aren't they receiving the gospel? What's going on? And according to Paul, the problem is that some of the people, he's thinking about the Old Testament people of God, some of those people missed out on God's salvation plan because they completely misunderstood God. Verse 30, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel, the people of God, who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Paul's saying, what's going on? The very people who are trying to please God, the very people who are trying to find God, ended up missing him. And the very people who are not looking for God somehow ended up finding him. Paul says that the Jewish people, the people of God in the Old Testament, were pursuing righteousness. To be with God forever, to live with God, to know God, we need to be perfect. All the sin in us needs to be destroyed and we need to be forgiven. And there were some Jewish people who were absolutely desperate to get that, to get that perfection, that righteousness, but actually they missed it. And in contrast, there were these Jewish, sorry, there were these Greek pagans 
who are outside God's community, who are worshipping in the temples of foreign gods, and yet they weren't even looking for the God of, uh, of the Bible, and yet somehow, miraculously, they ended up finding him. Paul goes on to highlight the deep tragedy of what was going on. He says in verse 1 of chapter 10, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they might be saved. We saw that last week. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. It's one of the most tragic verses in the entire Bible, I think. They have zeal for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They have this desperate desire to know God, but they've missed him. You know, there are lots of people throughout the world who are desperate to know God. I think we often think that people actually aren't interested. Because what what we hear uh, uh, on the television and, and what we read in the newspapers is kind of angry atheists, um, who, who, do, who don't, are not interested. You know, that 5 or 10% of the population who are not interested in God. But actually, there are loads of people in our world who want to know God. When they do the census every year, people, 70%, 60 or 70% of people say that they're spiritual in some way. They want to know God. And there are people tied up in all kinds of spiritual quests. There are people in Israel still today, who troop down every single day to the wall, to the old wall of the temple in Jerusalem uh, and pray at that, at that piece of wall because they want to find God. They want to know God. Uh, there are people in Islam, billion, billions of people in Islam, who are deeply committed to, to their five pillars of faith, to, who, who pray five times every day, who fast during Ramadan, who, who want to make the pilgrimage, pilgrimage to Mecca. They're desperate to find God. There are people who every few years are trying to, to, to who set out on this new kind of spiritual quest. They, they try a new religion or a new spirituality. They, they buy the books at the bookstore, uh, like Eat, Pray, Love or something like that. They, 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 they're trying to find God. They're trying to find out... Uh, who God is. They're searching the internet. They're trying to find God. A few years ago, the, the, the top question uh, on, uh, on Google was, who is God? But the tragedy is that people are looking in all the wrong places. They have zeal, but without knowledge and understanding of who God is. And that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy because they want to know, but they don't. What was it that the people, that those people are missing and that the people of Israel were missing? Paul says uh, in verse 32, he, says, he gives the answer there. He says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Paul's quoting there from a number of Old Testament passages. One of those passages is Isaiah 28, verse 14, where God says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tester's stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. In other words, 
this stone which God has laid and which people are stumbling over is not just any stone, but this is the foundation stone. This is the stone upon which the entire building stands. This is the stone which gives the entire direction and, and, and shape of the building. And Paul says that people have stumbled over the foundation. What was the foundation stone? Paul says it's Jesus. Verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. Where was God's righteousness coming from? From Christ. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. In the Old Testament, God had given uh, his people the law through Moses, and in that law there were rules for how they should live and how they were to order themselves as a nation. There were regulations for sacrifices. There was a temple. There was this whole system of worship. And the problem was that, all, that the people who were doing that that many of those people failed to realise that those regulations and those rituals were not in themselves the end game. The problem was that many people didn't realise that the purpose of the law was to point to Jesus. In another place, Paul says that the law was like a shadow. Now, when you see a shadow, you know... You meet your friend and you see their shadow on the ground. Imagine if you started talking to the shadow. Hello. How are you, Bob? You know? And then you, and then you kind of... And you crouch down on the ground and you kind of tried to hug the shadow. You know? Bob! It's great to see you. Missed you. Paul says, you don't do that, do you? You don't deal with a shadow like that. And Paul says that's what it was like with the law. The law was a shadow. The shadow was cast from the thing itself, from Jesus. But the people of Israel had just seen the shadow and thought, that's the end game, that's what we want, instead of seeing the Jesus who stood behind it. Jesus who the sun was shining on in order that the shadow might be cast. You see, what you and I need is not Jesus, not Rules, not systems of worship. What we need is Jesus. The only way that we can be acceptable to God, the only way we can know God, is through connecting up with him. And whether it's the Old Testament law that we might hang on to in, in the place of Jesus, or whether it's something else of our own invention, if whatever it is distracts us from Jesus, or replaces Jesus, or pulls our gaze away from Jesus then it's leading us away from the only hope that we have before God and it's leading us into error and leading us into damnation. So are you desperate to find God, to meet God, to know God? Then the place that you will find him is in Jesus. If you want to meet God, then ask him to show you Jesus. And you can open up one of the biographies of uh, Jesus' life in the Bible and you can find out who he is. You can find some of those on the back table, stories about who Jesus is. And if you want, you can come and talk to me uh, after the service as well and we'll find someone to sit down with you and to read through the Bible with you and to help you find out who Jesus is. Because what you need, if you're on a quest to find God, what you need is Jesus. You might have great zeal for God, but if you don't know Jesus and if you're not trusting him, then you've missed the point. 
And let me say, that's even true if, you're a Christ, if you think you're a Christian. You see, you might read the Bible every day, turn up to church every week, but if Jesus is kind of an add-on to your Christianity, then you've missed the gospel. If Jesus doesn't lie at the heart of your relationship with God and at the heart of your life, then you've missed the good news. If Jesus crucified and risen doesn't lie at the heart of your daily walk with God, then you've missed the point. There needs to be a deep trust and reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one through whom we can know God. So despite their zeal, there were these people from the Old, uh, Old Testament, people of God, they missed the gospel. But bound up, they'd, they'd missed that because they'd missed Jesus, but bound up with that was the fact that they'd missed the gospel because they'd thought at the same time that salvation was bound up with what they did rather than with what God did. You see, because they failed to realise that the purpose of the law was to point to Jesus, they ended up thinking that what the law was actually telling them was that they needed to make themselves perfect. When the, what the law was really saying was, it was pointing to Jesus and saying, the way that you can be perfect and righteous before God is through Jesus Christ. But they thought that they had to do it themselves because they didn't see Jesus. They didn't realise that righteousness was a gift to be received rather than something that they could achieve with their own efforts. Paul says in verse 32... Another way of saying it is is that they pursued righteousness by works, by what they did, rather than by faith, by believing and trusting. Part of the problem, you see, was that the law, although it pointed ahead to Jesus, it also kind of locked people up in this whole system of regulations which God had commanded the people to do in order to preach the gospel. So Paul says in verse 5, he quotes from Leviticus 18, he says, Moses writes about the righteousness that is by law. The person who does these things will live by them. There was life to be found in them uh, because God had commanded them to be done in order to proclaim the gospel. But none of the regulations which the law demanded could actually bring about the life that it offered. They didn't actually achieve what they said. They were just the road sign pointing to the destination. Righteousness and acceptance with God can only be achieved through a trusting in what God himself has done, not in what we can do. So Paul says in verse 6, he quotes actually from the law again, Deuteronomy 30, he says, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? Because that's to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Paul says that the law pointed beyond itself. The law itself pointed to faith in Jesus Christ. And as he talks about that, as he quotes from the law here, he gets really to the heart of how we think, how you and I think about salvation. If we didn't have the Bible, this is how we would think. We ask questions like this. Who can ascend to heaven? Who's good enough to ascend to heaven? What do I need to get there? Or alternatively, ask the question, well, who's going to descend to the deep? Who's going to go to hell? What do I need to avoid? How do I need to make, how can I make sure that I'm not going to end up under God's condemnation? But Paul says those are the wrong questions. 
The question is not, how can I get there or how can I avoid going there? Those questions focus our attention on what we need to do. And they make salvation about the works that we do and because of that, then we stumble over Jesus. The answer to the question is not, what can I do, but what has Jesus done? Who can ascend to heaven? The answer is Jesus. Who will descend to the deep and suffer the agonies of hell? The answer is Jesus. If you and I link up with Jesus, then we share in everything that he has experienced in our place. He suffered the agony of hell so that we don't have to. He ascended into heaven and he'll, he'll take his people to be with him. And all we need to do is to link up with him and entrust ourselves to him and give ourselves over to his care and protection. Instead of asking what we need to do, we need to ask, we need to trust Jesus. Paul says in verse 8, but what does it say? What is, that is, what are we to do? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith, and are saved. Or in verse 13, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What matters is not what we've done uh, or whether we're perfect enough to make God happy with us. What matters is not that we've avoided all the sins that uh, will make God condemn us to hell. What matters is what's in our heart and mouth. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead? As I heard someone put it this week, the good news of the gospel is not, as the Jewish people thought, the good news of the gospel is not God rewards good people. The good news of the gospel is that God forgives bad people. And all you and I need to do is to accept that forgiveness. To receive it. And we receive it by calling on God. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We need to say to God, God, forgive me. Accept me through Jesus. I'm not acceptable. But you can accept me through Jesus. And all you need to do is confess that Jesus is Lord. That is, we need to accept that Jesus is our King and our God. He's the one who gets to set the agenda for our lives. He's our Master. We don't have to make ourselves perfect. We just have to give our lives over to Jesus and to trust in our hearts in his death and resurrection and to trust that they are the basis on which God accepts us, not anything that we do or say. So Paul says, outlines this great tragedy. These people who are zealous for God but without knowledge desperate to know God but misguided, thinking that they can please God through what they do, but the truth is that we don't please God through what we do. We just please, we receive God's good gift through Jesus Christ. And that's good news, isn't it? That's good news, that we can know God just by receiving Jesus. And finally, Paul says, well, if that's true... If it's true that God receives us simply on the basis of receiving his gift to us in Jesus Christ, if that's true, then people need to hear that. 
If people want to know God and if they can know God just by knowing Jesus and receiving him, then we've got to tell them. Verse 14, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The logic of Paul that Paul uses there is exceedingly simple. If salvation is only through knowing Jesus, then people need to know Jesus. And if people need to know Jesus, then other people who already know him need to go and tell. And if people who know Jesus already need to tell others about Jesus, then those people need to be sent. They need to be set aside for gospel ministry because people are going to hell. And it's not that people don't want to know Jesus, don't want to know God. They do want to know him. They're longing to know God. And we have the message that can enable them to know who God is. What does that mean for us? Well, it means a lot of things, I think. First, it obviously means that we need to send people. We need to send people to the mission field overseas. Uh, Every Wednesday it is. I get an email that Graham signed me up for about seven years ago, <laughs> just before they left. Uh, from I can't is it the Joshua Project. I think, can't think who, uh, who it is. And every week it, 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 it sends you an email telling you about one of the unreached people groups in the world. And every week I look at the percentage of the people in that country or in that in that people group who know Jesus. And every week the statistic is something like less than one percent. Less than one percent know Jesus. We need to send people to the mission field, to those places. We've been able to do that. We've sent the, the Poole family a, a number of years ago to South Sudan. At the moment, we have a couple serving in the Middle East. And it was great to hear the other day uh, from them about that, uh, that through their ministry, people have come to know Jesus. Uh, that through their ministry, one man, Ben, has come to know Jesus and is committed to going back to his own country to tell people about Jesus, even though that means risking uh, his own life. We're about to send another person to South Asia to, to do the same thing, to take the gospel to a place where people don't know it. We heard this morning about the work of gospel in India, where in the last month, 222 people were baptised. And every month, it's numbers in that vicinity. It's extraordinary. There are countless people in other countries who need to hear about Jesus because if they don't hear, they won't be able to know Jesus and they won't be able to trust Jesus. And without knowing Jesus and trusting him, they can't escape God's wrath. But we not only need to send people overseas, we also need to send people here. That's something I've become more and more convinced of in the last few years. Not only are there many people in other countries who need to hear about Jesus, there are millions in Australia. The number of believers in Australia is probably only around about 5 to 10%. 
And while we all have a role to play in reaching those people with the gospel, it's desperately important to realise that we also need to set aside people for that work. We need to set aside people to have time to do that work. And the people that we set aside for that work are not just kind of the ordinary run-of-the-mill pastors like Steve and I, but we need to set aside people to focus on that work work of evangelism. Uh, At the recent FIEC conference and in a follow-up article on uh, the Gospel Coalition Australia, Rory Shiner, pastor from Western Australia, made this point. He said, come back with me to the dim, dark days of the 1990s. You might not have even been born then. But come back with me to the dim, dark days of the 1990s. We had some itinerant evangelists like Chapo, John Chapman, an evangelist in Sydney, but they were rare. You might think of Billy Graham as well. Those kinds of people were rare. And apart from them, hardly anyone was employed full-time in evangelism. There were associate ministers who were supposed to, on top of all their other responsibilities, focus on evangelism. Sometimes a keen oddbod with a gift for evangelism will be brought onto staff only to be swamped by admin and meetings. But the dice were loaded from the start. People were told to do something but not given the power to do it. And then it fell back to the senior pastor to make evangelism a priority. How exactly? By not running safe church courses? By cancelling staff meetings? by skipping AGMs, by plagiarising sermons? What's his point? His point is that the life of church, and there's lots of good and important things that we need to do in church, the life of church crowds out the focus on evangelism, and we need to set aside people with a focus on that work if we want to reach people with the gospel. We need to free up gifted people for that kind of ministry, not just to do evangelism, but to equip and encourage us to do evangelism. To see what effect that can have, we only need to look at what's happened in this past year through uh, Ollie's work here at the branch and at the university campus. Through the work that he's headed up on the university campus, several people have come to know and trust Jesus. People who wouldn't have come to know and trust Jesus had we not invested financially in that work. Through his work uh, in the church, we've had probably one of the biggest attendances at our Christianity Explored course uh, in three or four years. Uh, And those people who've come along have heard the gospel. Heard the gospel that they may not have heard had we not done that. And those people have been followed up. And, And they've been shown what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus through Discipleship Explored, which other people have have helped to run as well. It's cost us to do this. Uh, It's cost us to have Ollie working for us, and it will cost us if we want to replace him. But the question that I want to ask is, what price do we put on people coming to know Jesus? Because it's not going to be free. It's going to cost us. And we need to work out what cost we're willing to pay. And we not only need to set aside people for ministry in Launceston, in our local neighbourhood, we need to set aside people for ministry throughout Tasmania, 
especially in rural contexts. In small towns around Tasmania, the church is dying. The church is dying because churches have abandoned the gospel and are now preaching a lie. The church is dying because no one has been thinking about evangelism and no one's been converted in towns for 50, in that town for 50 years. We need to plant gospel-proclaiming churches in those towns and to plant those churches, we need to send people. Our vision for the branch is to make this church a hub uh, that can send and support people for ministry throughout Tasmania, and especially in rural communities in the north of Tasmania. To do that, we need to find workers. Where are they going to come from? Where are we going to find 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 workers to work across the north of Tasmania to reach people with the gospel? We need to find people who are willing to go and we need to find the money to support those people because it's almost impossible, very, very difficult uh, for rural communities to support full-time gospel workers. I have no idea how we can possibly do that. It seems a completely overwhelming task uh, and it's something that we've been thinking about for many years. It seems desperately impossible. But it's important to realise that this is not just our mission, it's not just something that we've invented to give ourselves something to do. This is God's mission. God is in the business of making people, reconciling people to himself through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God is the God of the impossible. God is the God who raises up gospel workers. God is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so we need to pray that God would raise up gospel workers and that God would give us the finances that we need to be able to support them. But even as we pray, we need to work hard. We need to work hard to raise up gospel workers. And when those gospel workers are put in our lap by God... We need to work and do all in our power to be able to support them. So we need to send people, that's an imperative. But I think we also finally need to remember that God has sent us to make the gospel known where he's placed us. You might not feel sent, but if you've received the gospel, then you've been sent with the gospel. Paul says, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. That is, believing the gospel goes hand in glove with making the gospel known. You might be part of a local public school community. God has placed you there to share Jesus with the people that you come into contact with. You might be part of a local a community garden. God has placed you there to share Jesus with the people that you meet. You might be part of a, a running club or a cycling club or a music club or some other kind of sports club. God has placed you there to share Jesus with the people that you meet. And wherever you live, whatever street you live in, whatever house you live in, God has placed you there to share Jesus with the people who live around you, with the people who work at your local shops, with your doctor, with the, with the people who work at your local coffee shop. God has put you where you are and given you the gifts that you need through the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known to the people who are around you. that you might be able to 
share the gospel with them in a few minutes in a conversation. You might be able to sit down with them and over a few weeks and a few months to read through one of the gospels with them. You can invite them to the Christianity Explored course that Ollie talked about earlier. You see, it's important to realise that to be sent doesn't mean that we have to do it all on our own. Not all of us can take someone who's an atheist or an agnostic or a Hindu or a Buddhist from that point all the way to being a completely committed Christian. And we don't have to do that all on our own. We're actually part of a church. We're part of a community of people who know the gospel. And as a practical way to help each other in doing that, we run these courses. We run Christianity Explored. We do that not because we think, oh, I can't think of anything better to do on Tuesday night. We do it because we want to help each other share the gospel. Because we have a treasure. The greatest treasure in the world. A treasure that Jesus says, if a man discovers in a field, he'd go and sell all he had in order to buy it. We have a, the greatest treasure in the world. And we don't want it to be locked up within the, the walls of this building. So why not spend this week praying that God would give you an opportunity to share the gospel with someone that you know. Or give you an opportunity to start reading through the gospel with someone. Or give you an opportunity to invite someone to come along on Tuesday night in a few weeks to Christianity Explored. Because God says that if you do that, you have beautiful feet. I hate feet. I can't imagine what it is like to have beautiful feet. But God says that if we take the gospel to people, we have beautiful feet. Because we're taking the most precious thing in the world and we're going out and taking it with us to people who want to know God but who don't. There are so many people who want to know God, people who are trying to find God but who are zealous and misguided. And you and I have the words of life about Jesus Christ. And we have a responsibility, an obligation to make that known. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel, for the good news, that it's not about anything that we can do that can make us acceptable to you, but it's just by receiving the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that's not like other gifts that we might unwrap and leave under the tree, but it's the gift of a person, your own son. It's a gift of a relationship, someone who can be known and loved and enjoyed, someone who holds us, who protects us, who keeps us, someone who speaks to you in our defence, someone who empowers us and transforms us to be like him. And Lord, we pray that every single one of us here would know that relationship with Jesus Christ, would know him and love him, and that we would belong to you as a result of that. But Lord, we pray too that that gift, that great gift that we've received, would not be hidden under a bushel or under a lampshade, but that Lord, that you'd help us to make it known. And Lord, there are so many people who 
need to know that message, who are longing even to know it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us all that we need to do it. We ask that you would raise up workers for the harvest field. We ask that you would raise up workers that we can send into all the parts of the world. We ask that you would raise up workers that we can send to people here in Launceston, to rural communities around Tasmania and other places in Australia. Lord, we ask that you would raise those people up and we ask that you would raise up the support among us that we might be able to send them and support them in that work and in that ministry. And Lord, we pray that as we do that, that we would rejoice at people being saved from death to life through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that in the places where you've put us, that you would help us to make Jesus known. Lord, as we saw last week, we ask that you would give us the same love for the loss that Jesus had, that we would do anything that others might be saved. Lord, help us to do that, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.